Welcome to the new neighborhood. We are excited to highlight innovative early childhood work taking place in communities across the country. In each episode, we'll be talking to people who are reinforcing a sense of community, supporting young children and their families, and focusing on equity right from the start to create a generation where all children and their families thrive. I'm Kaylin O'Connor. And I'm Sanaa Sharif. And we are your co-hosts for the second season of The New Neighborhood. With us today is Joan Lombardi, who had the idea to create a podcast about the ways that people are coming together in communities and even down to the neighborhood level to make sure that families with young children have all the supports they need for their children to learn, grow, and be ready for school. Joan brought that idea to the Center for the Study of Social Policy, and we were excited to work with her last year to bring it to fruition and get it out into the world. And now she's handed over the reins to CSSP, and we're working on the second season. We're very excited that she's with us to launch it today. Welcome, Joan. I'm so delighted to be here with Caitlin and Sanaa and to see the podcast move forward. It's been clear to so many of us that all across the country, communities have been stepping forward to try and make their particular neighborhood the best place to raise a child. We were seeing this energy and creativity even before COVID, but it's particularly exciting to see parents and caregivers leading the way and putting a renewed focus on equity, as you said, right from the start. While I planted a seed when we launched this dialogue last year, it's a real honor to have both of you nurture it along and help bear witness to the local initiatives. This is what the country is all about. This is the hope we all need for the future. So Sana, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and what brings you to this position of parent leader? Sure. Uh, I am a resident of Guilford County. I have a bachelor's in psychology, some master's studies in clinical psychology. I am a mother of two adult children and two children under the age of 18. They are seven-year-old twins and they are just amazing. And the majority of my work in this space has been centered around getting their needs met. Uh, once I learned that they were really underserved between the ages of three to five, it kind of put a battery on my back to make sure that no other family has to suffer in that way and that everyone can have what they need. Sanad, tell me about yourself. How did you get into parent leadership? It began when I relocated to a place where I didn't know anyone. Uh, my children were at a head start and I decided that Instead of being told what was going to happen for my children, I would be a part of the process of deciding what would happen for my children. So I joined the Parent Policy Council. I ended up being the chair on my first time running uh, and learning about how awesome it was to be able to elevate parent voice encouraged me to continue to put myself in spaces where I could elevate parent voice and advocate for my own children. And here we are. Well, that was very brave of you, a new location, and you stepped right forward. You must have had something behind you that encouraged you to do that. Yeah, well, a lot of it came from uh, just realizing that a lot of times decisions are made for families and children and parents don't have a voice in those decisions. And for me, it was just about making the best decision for myself and my family and showing families that they could do the same thing. If that's the important thing, that you're a real role model for others. So now we're thrilled that you're doing this podcast. And Kaylin, tell us about yourself and your role at the center. And how did you come to co-host the podcast? Thanks, Joan. So I am a senior associate at the Center for the Study of Social Policy, or CSSP. 
And I work on a lot of different projects related to young children and their families. Last season, I got to be interviewed for a podcast with Joan and really enjoyed that and was very honored to be asked to take the lead for the podcast for this year. What made you want to co-host the podcast? I love podcasts. And so I was excited to be a part of this. And I think it's a great way to reach people we might not reach with our written documents or our webinars or more formal pieces we put out. I think a podcast is a great way to showcase things and bring new voices into the conversation. And when we started talking internally at CSSP about how to go about this second season, we were initially talking about how to make sure that there was parent voice in every single episode so that whatever the topic or the community initiative we would be highlighting, we would always invite a parent to be one of the guests. And then we realized, you know, sometimes that's just not how it's going to work out with who it makes sense to talk to in a community uh, for the specific work they're doing, but that we could actually have a parent co-host so that that perspective is always there and that it would just be a better back and forth, um, an ability for Sanaa and I, uh, well, for a parent leader, we ended up selecting Sanaa, uh, to be able to develop ideas together as well as to do the interviews together because we have different perspectives and different experiences and we can pull out different information uh, from the people we're talking to. We were all really excited about the idea but it did take a little bit of organizational work to figure out this new way to engage a parent leader. We have a network, the Parent Leader Network, which Sanaa is part of the steering committee. Uh, but this is not a way we've typically, you know, contracted with someone from the steering committee to do work like this. So I'm thankful to my colleague, Arthur Argomanis, who helped figure out how we could recruit, select, and contract with someone from the Parent Leader Network steering committee. And I'm just thrilled that Sanaa applied and was selected and that now we're co-hosting the podcast. Yeah, I think it'll be so much better because you have these two perspectives and Sanaa, you can bring that voice and probe the areas that you think people need to hear from other parents. It's such an important perspective. Sanaa, can you say a little bit about why you wanted this role and why you applied to be the co-host? The reason why I applied for the position is because typically uh, in the podcast space, my voice has been heard as an artist. And lately, I've been trying to use the platforms that I have as an artist to speak more about parents, families, children, and the needs of children, especially since after the pandemic, there were so many cases of children put in precarious situations. I just think it's a good opportunity to just speak up be heard, use my melodic sing-songy voice <laughs> to get people listening. So some really important topics. These are very important issues that we'll be tackling this season. I think that your voice helps convey an evenness to the conversation that's so important in these difficult times. Thank you for that. Thank you so much, Joan. On each of our episodes, we're going to be talking to different guests who are doing work at the early childhood level. But today, Sanaa and I are going to be talking to each other about the work we do and why. So let's get into that. Okay, so Kaylin, how did you get started in this field of work? Well, I did a master's degree in human development and family studies at the University of Wisconsin-Madison. Got to give a shout out. And I decided to do that because I had started in my time between college and graduate school. I was living in Copenhagen, Denmark, and I did some work for WHO. I did some work as a nanny. I also worked at an Irish bar. I did a lot of different things. As an American living in Denmark and experiencing the welfare system there, the social welfare system, 
it was really eye-opening to see, oh, this is what it looks like for a society to really support families with children. <laughs> this is what it can look like to really have a focus on equality. Um, and I would say equality versus equity at that time, both in my thinking and in, and in how things were working in Denmark at the time. But that it was really making sure that everyone had what they needed. And I did not see that back home in the States. And so I decided to go to grad school for something related to that. And I wasn't sure exactly what it would be, but human development and family studies is where I ended up and uh, quickly got into child abuse prevention as a focus area, uh, which led me to strengthening families, which is a framework from the Center for the Study of Social Policy that I continue to work on today. And uh, really just a drive to make sure that families are supported and the kids can grow into their full potential in a way that I think our systems too often don't actually support. Can you tell us a little bit about your why? It sounds like you kind of went into that just a little bit. I have a really strong sense of fairness. I'm easily offended at things that don't seem fair <laughs> or equitable. And I actually had a wonderful childhood. Uh, I sometimes tell people when you look at adverse childhood experiences, I have an ACE score of zero um, due to wonderful parents and growing up in a supportive community. But I know not everyone has that. Obviously, not everyone has that. And, I, and then when I was living in Denmark and looking at uh, the opportunities and supports that families had there so that their children could succeed. I just thought, why isn't that happening everywhere? <laughs> it really should be equality. I keep saying equality because I do think um, that was where I was coming from back when I got into this work. And now I've developed much more into thinking about equity, but really thinking about that fairness perspective of why are some kids' lives so much harder and some families' lives so much harder than others. How much of your work um, along that vein consists of on-the-job training? And what I mean by that is, would you say that you learned more after you got started or that you came in with a very full scope of the type of work you'd be doing? So much I've had to learn along the way. I think I definitely learned a lot about child development and how families work and how we think about the types of services and supports that families need for children to thrive. I got all of that in graduate school, but every day I still learn more about the ins and outs of how these systems work across our country and what the possibilities are and what the limitations are for what these systems can do. And also continuing to learn more and more about child development. For example, one could read a new article about brain development science every day <laughs> if one wanted to. There's always more to learn. And the research in these areas is, is constantly growing. So there's always a lot more to learn. Yeah, I actually do agree with that. Um, there's something new every day. So I want to know if you were prepared for what you learned about uh, disparaged populations, such as uh, BIPOC populations, immigrants, English as second language populations and others. Um, what do you discover during your work? Do you feel like you were adequately prepared for that? I don't think I was adequately prepared for that. I think having grown up as a white woman in this society, I was blind to a lot of um, the experiences of people who don't fit that <laughs> description. And I think I always had an eye towards fairness, as I said, and I, I've always thought everyone should have opportunities to grow and succeed. And I have never been one to deny that racism exists, for example. 
But I also took a long time to learn and get to a point of recognizing just how pervasive disparities are and how pervasive discrimination is and how racism runs through historically and currently so much of how things work in this country. And so that has been a continuous learning process. I'm still learning. That's an area that I have learned and grown in the last 10 years, um, certainly through my work at CSSP and with all the communities that we interact with to just understand, even when we say, you know, there's historic roots of how these systems are set up. That's actually different in North Carolina than what that history looks like and the racist roots look like in California or in Illinois or Wisconsin. And so, you know, really talking to people on the ground about what their experiences are, how their systems work. It's different everywhere, even though there's so many themes that run through all of it. So there's always more to learn. And on the issue of disparities and also on the issue of cultural strengths and how people do thrive in situations that do not look advantageous um, and don't feel advantageous, but they still manage to thrive and support their kids every way they can. I think there's so much to learn in both of those ways. Thank you so much, Kaylin. Thank you, Sana. I'm going to ask you a few questions now because I know that you are a parent leader in Guilford County where you talked about how you got involved through Head Start and you're a member of our National Parent Leader Network that CSSP convenes. So I'm wondering if you can talk about the types of work you do, maybe mostly in Guilford, but maybe a little bit also about what you do with the PLN. Okay, so with the Parent Leader Network, um, as I said before, it's about elevating parent voice allowing parents access to resources, encouraging parents to be more active in the community, maybe visiting City Hall and advocating for themselves and others in the community. It has also been an opportunity to um, train in Kofi, which is community organizing and family issues, and then to become a Kofi trainer because, you know, I can't just stay in one spot. <laughs> I have to move through all of the levels. But yeah, so um I've also done some work with um, both Guilford Ready for School, Ready for Life and UNCG on the ages three to five design group, which works specifically with the ages three to five uh, to prepare them for school readiness. Unfortunately, in Guilford County, we have pretty low school readiness numbers. I think it's at about 48%. I'm not sure if that number has changed, but this work is to determine what the needs are in our communities and how to increase preparation, families, what they need, get children what they need, and to enhance the community around these families and children so that children can be ready for school when it's time to go. I love that. And I think we're going to learn more about that uh, preschool uh, three to five school readiness in a later episode. I also want to ask you just about, you've said a little bit about this already, but can you say more about what draws you to parent leadership work and what you love about it? Well, yeah, I honestly think it starts um, in the basis of unraveling the fabric of racism, unraveling the fabric of inequity and kind of um, rewriting the story and just building opportunities. I've seen a lot of parents who really don't realize that they can ask for what they want and actually get it. And so being a part of the framework uh, to allow these parents to know that these opportunities are there is very important to me. I feel like there was a time when my voice wasn't heard until I realized that my voice can be heard. And so that kind of lit the fire under me to get me going. And that's what I love about it. But I also love that it's a support network. Uh, there are plenty of resources from gardening to reading groups to um, equitable actions that are taking place in our 
community and it's just a plethora of experiences. And so for me, that's really exciting. I love that. And I love how your voice is being heard um, in, <laughs> in literal ways and <laughs> more figuratively. So um, I also want to ask from your perspective, with your own experience and all the families that you interact with, what do you see as the most pressing need for families with young kids these days? I'm going to always go to support. Uh, it takes a lot to raise young children, especially in today's world. Things have changed a lot from when my 18 and 21 year old were babies. Things have changed a lot from when I was a baby. And these days, it just seems like it literally takes a village. But that village is not just family. That village is your practitioners. It's your teachers, your clergymen. It's your uh, equity action team. It's your new neighborhood podcast. <laughs> it takes support in every way possible so that parents know that they're not alone, so that parents know that they can have what they need. And so that parents who've experienced trauma can learn and unlearn new ways to parent their children so that we can raise healthy adults. You know, Asana, it's great to hear you say that about um, the new neighborhood itself being a support for families, because I think them hearing you speak and your words of wisdom about why you got into this and what it means to you and what is important to you as a parent. I'm just curious when you think about, you know, a good neighborhood, a helpful neighborhood, what's the secret sauce that makes a neighborhood such a great place to raise a child? For me, it would be a healthy combination, a balance of the sweet and the spicy. And what I mean by that, the sweet would be uh, the trusting the process, having patience and knowing that what you're looking for is coming, right? And just kind of working with it. But the spicy is making sure that you speak up, making sure that you advocate for what's needed, making sure that you speak for others who can't speak. So a healthy balance of that, I think, is the sauce that we need. That's a terrific image, um, and I think one that we can spread across the country and encourage both the sweet and the spicy. Um, Caitlin, what about you? You bring a different perspective. You had a great childhood, as you mentioned. What was the secret sauce there? I think when I think about the secret sauce, I unfortunately don't have a culinary reference like Sana did, but um, <laughs> I think connection, and that is that parents are connected to their neighbors, to other parents, to extended family if they have that, to friends. They're connected to services and supports that they need in the community. And then they're connected to their children, really deeply connected with that emotional connection that we know is so critical. And that can be a struggle when life is rough. <laughs> so for parents to have the connections around them that they need to feel supported and strong, and then for children to experience that connection from their parents and from others around them. That's what I would call the secret sauce. Well, as you move forward in the new episodes of The New Neighborhood, I hope you keep adding to that sauce so we really get to understand the flavors in it and can share that across the country. So good luck to both of you. Thanks. And thank you so much to Joan Lombardi for joining us today and for starting this podcast, which we are honored to carry into its second season. And thank you for listening. Be sure to check the show notes for links and additional information about some of the things we've talked about today. And please join us next time for more insights into how communities are coming together to create new neighborhoods and support early learning and development. 
This limited series podcast is a production of the Center for the Study of Social Policy. For more information or to contact us, visit us online at www.cssp.org.